Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. If you have been reading along in the parashayot and the Torah portions, you realize that you have also come to the end of something, which is the end of the book of Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy. And some of us have the habit of when we read a book, we go right to the end to see what happens. I'm not going to ask you to identify yourself, but I know there are some like that. In fact, I've been guilty of that a few times. And in this case, at the end of Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, in the parasha that's called Vezotah Bracha, this is the blessing. In Deuteronomy chapter 33 and 34, the very end of the book, we also come to the end of some other things. Beyond the ending of the book of Deuteronomy, which in Hebrew is called Devarim, we come to the end of a 40-year wilderness wandering of B'nai Israel, the children of Israel. Forty years is a long time, isn't it? <laughs> really is. You think about it. Some of you are older than 40 years, and you can reflect back, and you can even think where you were 40 years ago. Well, for the children of Israel, for 40 years, all they saw was sand, rocks, palm trees occasionally, a little bit of water here and there, and... Um, one another. <laughs> it was a large group, the wilderness of wine. But a whole generation, the Tanakh tells us that a whole generation of the children of Israel perished in the wilderness. And if you've been following the readings beginning from Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, uh, approximately chapter 12 and forward, with the wilderness wandering, you realize that a whole generation perished in the wilderness. A new generation by the end of the book of Deuteronomy had arisen. But we are told why that whole generation perished in the wilderness. And it had more to do than just being older. In fact, the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 19 says this as to why they perished. It says, so we see that they could not enter in because of, say that last word with me, unbelief. So entering in refers to enter into the, the land flowing with milk and honey, that promised land. But that generation was not allowed to enter in. And the scripture specifically says, and it's actually a quote from the Torah that we read in the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. They couldn't enter in because of unbelief. Now, my topic today isn't about unbelief, but I would ask you this. 
Do you think unbelief still hinders us in our walk with the Lord at times? How many of you think that's true? And we see this contrast of God who is so great, he created the heavens and the earth, and then we come to situations in our life, and we somehow, I don't know, and I say we, notice I'm saying we, somehow we think that is too great for God. Our situation is too much for him. Now, we wouldn't quite say that because we know the right theology, but we might act that out somewhat. Again, Hebrews 3, verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, the end of Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, also brings us to the end of something else. And that is the end of the life of Moshe, Moses. What a life. Wow. There used to be a program called This Is Your Life. It actually predates me a little bit, believe it or not. But I've looked back at a, at a couple of YouTube clips of certain individuals I was interested in as they had them on that program. It was called something like This Is Your Life. And they started to tell people about their story. And eventually, uh, it, was, it was interesting. If we were to tell Moses' story, who would believe it? <laughs> Just think of just the 10 miracles or the 10 displays of power, the 10 signs, the 10 moftim, the 10 wonders that the Lord did in the land of Egypt using Moses and his brother Aharon, Aaron. But that was just like the start of that 40-year process. There was a lot more that went on during the 40-year process, if you're interested in finding now, then you need to read what the Torah says. Starting from the middle section of Exodus all the way up to where we're at right now because at the end of Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, we also come to the end of Moses' life. What a life. <laughs> to think that we still refer to Moshe, there's a special dear term that we use that we call Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses our teacher. But to think that we still speak about this man all these centuries, millennia later, is quite a testament, isn't it? In this parasha, or actually it was in last week's parasha, parasha Hazinu, we read this in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, beginning with verse 48. We read, then the Lord spoke to Moses that very day, same day, saying, Go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho. View, view the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession. By the way, who is meant to possess the land of Israel? The children of Israel. Who gave them that land? The Lord. View the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, it says in the English. And God speaking to Moses and says to him in verse 50 of Deuteronomy chapter 32, it says, and die on the mountain which you ascend. And die on the mountain which you ascend and be gathered to your people, 
just as Aharon, your brother, died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. Wow, what a statement. In a sense, we could say using modern language to say Moses was tipped off. He was told in advance about his own death. Was told where to go, where it was going to happen. And I've often wondered how we would respond if we knew those details about our own life. Would we change something different what we're doing right now? If we knew we just had a certain amount of time, for some that's happened due to serious illness, where they realize that it could be, as it says, curtains for them. But Moses was told, he said, go up this mountain of the Abare Mount Nebo, which is in land of Moab across from Jericho, and you're going to view the land of Canaan, and you're going to die on the mountain which you ascend. I can only imagine what a trip that was. Think about it. From the human perspective, you know this is it. And your feet bring you closer and closer to that mountain. Would you have something inside you say, no, I'm not climbing that mountain. I know that that's it right there. We find absolutely no hint of that with Moses. To the very end of his life, he was, as we say, the servant of God. It was as if Moses was saying, Lord, whatever you will, that's what I want. Isn't that how our lives are supposed to be? Thy will be done, not my will. I must decrease so that he can increase. Later on, in Parashat Vizotabracha, Deuteronomy 34, beginning with verse 5, Moses' death actually occurs. If you've read the end of Deuteronomy, you're familiar with this passage. It says in verse 5, So Moshe, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. Notice this next phrase, according to the word of the Lord. Verse 6, And the Lord buried him in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. We're told this about Moshe in verse 7 of Deuteronomy chapter 34. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, as the English says, nor his natural vigor diminished. Actually, there's a bit of of proof about that because he's able to physically ascend that mountain at 120 years of age. And he's able to see the land of Canaan. There was proof given already. God said, you're going to see the land over there. You're going to ascend that mountain. He had the vigor to ascend that mountain. And I don't know, every once in a while, I get out here and do some of the dances. And I'm thankful to have the vigor to do that. I'd encourage more of you to join in as you can go to the dance classes. But ascending a mountain at 120 years of age is, is, is pretty remarkable. <laughs> well, let me whittle that down. Ascending the mountain at 110 years of age. 
Let me whittle that down to 100 years of age, to 90 years of age. Think about it. Folks that you've known who maybe attained the age of 90 or above, can you see them ascending up to the top of the mountain? And their vision's so good they can see the land off in the distance. That's the testimony concerning Moshe. So with Moses' death that we just read about in Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 34, and then his subsequent burial by the Lord in a place that's still unknown to humankind today, we don't know exactly where that is. Other matters now come to the forefront. I mean, there's the obvious who's going to succeed Moses as leader. Well, that has already been mentioned prior in the book of Deuteronomy that it would be Yehoshua, Joshua, that would be the ascendant leader when Moses died and was buried by the Lord. That becomes quite obvious. The book of Joshua tells that again. Joshua chapter 1 begins and God affirms to Joshua, Moses is dead. Why would he have to say that to Joshua? Well, God buried Moses. There could be this thought, well, he sees pretty well and he's pretty vigorous. Maybe he's still out there somewhere. And the next thought could be, do we need to send a search party out to find him? But God tells Yehoshua, Joshua, in chapter one is repeated. He tells him clearly one of the first statements, Moses is dead. And as Moshe died and was buried by the Lord, we then have other things come to the forefront even beyond who would be the new leader. Yehoshua is who was anointed and appointed by the Lord. For example, one of the things I find interesting about Moses' death is backtracking into his life what is recorded in the Torah and figuring out what were the last words of Moses to the children of Israel. What were his final words? I want to share them with you. It's actually in Scripture. Moshe's final words, recorded words in the Bible to the children of Israel are found in Devarim chapter 33, verse 29. The very last statement he makes after he blesses the the various uh, tribes of Israel. And you come to this final statement, the 29th verse of Devarim Deuteronomy chapter 33. Ashrecha Israel, happy are you, O Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? The shield, the magen. Can you say magen? The magen, the shield of your help and the sword, the cherev. Can you say that? Cherev of your majesty. Your enemies, his very last statement is this one. And man, we need it now. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. That last statement is this statement of victory awaits you. Victory awaits you. Blessed, happy, ashrecha Yisrael. Happy are you, as the English says, O Israel, who's alike who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. Those were the last recorded words of Moshe to B'nai Israel, the children of Israel. And they, these last words of 
God to Moses are also recorded. The very last thing God said to Moses. I just read you the last thing that Moses said to the children of Israel, but what was the last thing God said to Moses? It's also recorded, Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. And then God, the very last statement to Moses is this. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Moses, as great as he was, was not able to lead the people into the promised land. He was not able to do it. He had the vim, he had the vigor, he had the eyesight. But there was something else missing. Our Messiah, who has risen from the dead and who is Lord, is able to lead you and me through faith in him into the land that God has promised us. And he alone can do it. Don't place your hope in anything or anyone else. Think of all the great men and women of history. And as with Moses who was buried and is dead, so are they. But there's one empty tomb, and that's the tomb of Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus the Messiah. He's risen from the dead and he is Lord. But this Deuteronomy 34 verse 4 passage I just read, the last recorded words of God to Moses, it's pretty moving to me. Is it to you? Is it a moving passage to you? These last things, after all these years of walking with God that Moses had done, 120 years of age, 40 years in the wilderness with the children of Israel, 40 years before that with Yitro, with Jethro, and 40 years in the courts of Pharaoh. To me, it's a moving passage. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. As mentioned, Moses by this time was 120 years old. The 40 years in the wilderness as we read what Torah tells us and what is explained later on in the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah, 40 years in the wilderness was a tough time at times. There were years of battle, times of battle, times of victory, times of troubles, times of testing that Moses faced. There was rebellion at time in the camp that he had to deal with. There were also the miracles that he saw. I mean, how many of you agree with me that manna every day except Shabbat, that's pretty miraculous. Think about it. And not supplying it for one family or just for Moses and, and his family, the Levites, his tribe, but for all the community. Hundreds of thousands of people. We know that because of the censuses that were taken while the children of Israel were wandering. Over 600,000 just men, 
not to mention women and children. And those of you who have, how many of you have children, have grown up, or you have children in your home, you know they can eat. <laughs> Boy, they can pack it in when they're hungry. <laughs> I certainly remember that too. And Moses had to face all these type of things, and there were hardships, and they were complaining. Did they ever kvetch when they were out there? They complained and they complained and they complained. And who at times, who's the, who's the leader? It's Moses. It all seemed to somehow whittle back to him or somehow be in contact with him, him having to deal with it. And I've often wondered if the writer of the book of Hebrews, Messianic Jews, I wonder if he had Moses in mind with some of what the writer wrote. For example, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, and the writer mentions Moses quite often in the prior chapters. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, he says, Remember those who rule over you or lead you, as one translation says, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Or in the same chapter, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, was he thinking about Moses? Obey those who rule over or lead you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. How did Moses cross God? He had issues with how the people were acting. And he responded wrongly. Have you ever responded wrongly when someone interacted with you? (laughs) We all know how that goes, doesn't it? It can be somebody you love dearly. Even, can I say this, husbands and wife, even a spouse? And you have to work through it and not react in an ungodly way because that will be a strike against you before the Lord. First Peter says that we are to under, have, have an understanding towards our wife, have consideration towards them. Hebrews 13, 17, was he thinking about Moses? Perhaps partially. Obey those who rule over you or lead you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. And then there's this. Let them do so with joy. Did Moses always have joy as he was leading the children of Israel? I would suggest to you there were so many times that he had to fall on his face. And I could just hear it. Oh, God. And you remember many times, a number of times, he said, Lord, these are your people. Lord, you brought them out of the land of Egypt. And yet, the love that he as the leader had for the sheep of Israel. Because we are all like sheep. We've all gone astray, each one to our own way. And I'm so thankful for our Messiah because the Lord has laid on Yeshua the iniquity of us all. And that includes you today and me. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. And then there's this unusual statement after it. For that would be, you would think it would say that would be unprofitable for them. Yes. But it says that would be unprofitable for you. Moses' tenure as leader of Israel 
included what some have described as the bitter and the sweet. And think about what you know about Moshe's life. There were some very sweet moments in his life. <clears throat> and there was also some very bitter times in his life. He lost his nephews who offered strange fire before the Lord. He saw his own sister Miriam have or come down with leprosy and be ostracized for a shavua for a week. It's pretty bitter stuff. And Moses' life was ending when God said to him again in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 34, verse 4, this is the land in which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. To me, that is a bittersweet statement. It's real sweet because Moses was still able, as I've been mentioning, to see it, physically see it. But it had to be tough. Only a true servant of God could have the self-control to realize, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to be going over there. These 40 years that I've striven with this people and led this people but I'm not going over there. I will rejoice with Joshua. And may he be blessed of the Lord. But I'm not going to be able to go over there. So these words that I just read, let me read them again one more time. Deuteronomy 34, verse 4. This is the land in which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. I believe we can glean some important truths from those words. In fact, I want to conclude with seven principles that I think we should keep in mind. We should keep in mind as we serve the Lord, seven principles. Some of these principles I'm just going to mention. Others I want to go a little further into it. Number one, we should keep in mind God means what he says. His word comes to pass. His promises can be counted on. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 tells us, for all the promises of God in him are what? They are yes. And in him they are amen to the glory of God through us. So that's point one. It's a simple one. God means what he says. It's important that we realize that because if we think we're going to get God to bend his word for us, <laughs> Backtrack, my friend, it ain't going to happen. Principle number two, we should keep in mind God does not wink at sinfulness. Even Moses, this is an obvious point, but even Moses was held accountable for not treating the Lord as holy among the people. Do you treat the Lord as holy among the people? Or do you make him common? Even Moses was not exonerated from that. God does not wink at sinfulness at all. Number three, 
we should keep in mind God is merciful. How many of you are glad about that today, that God is merciful? I am. That he's merciful. You know, I think it's quite merciful. This is the sweet part of that last statement in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 4. It's merciful that he allowed Moses to see the land of Israel. What a merciful last vision that he allows Moses to see. Almost as if to tell Moses, I just want you to know, Moshe, I keep my word. And what I promise to your forefathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, I do it. We should also keep our word, by the way. If you give your word, it should be a standard that you keep. If you realize you can't fulfill your word, you should go back to that person. I tell you, I've had to do this many times. Do things happen? Situations change. You say, oh, I'll be there, but you're not able to. You need to go and let that person know. And if you make a commitment to, be, to do something, to minister in the congregation, be a part of something, you need to be committed to it. It's a serious matter. It impacts others. So we should keep in mind God is merciful. He did allow Moses to see the land of Israel. He allowed Moses, in essence, to see the reality of the promise. You know, my friends, we are going to see the reality of the promises of Yeshua, the Messiah. He said, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have what? Everlasting life. We will see that promise. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Yeshua, the Messiah. But this idea of mercy, how Scripture builds on this idea of mercy. God is merciful. For example, just a couple of examples. In Tehillim, Psalm 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. Suppose this said the Lord is hateful and not gracious. Boy, does that change how things are. That's how we act sometimes. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Then it says he's slow to anger. And as this translation, New King James places it, says it, and he's abounding in mercy. It's not just a very little trickle of mercy. Aren't you glad that he has overflowing mercy towards his people? And his sin, our sins are covered by the shed blood of Yeshua. He's our kapara, our atonement. And then again in the very same psalm, Psalm 103, verse 11, it says, for as high, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy. His mercy towards who though? To those who fear him. Do you reverence the Lord? If you're a reverencer of the Lord, you really fear him and you tremble at his word as Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 says. And ye has an overflowing as high, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. And the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. <laughs> I really like to tell folks, if you're wise, you'll fear God, and you'll do what he says. Now, you may scrape your knees. We all do. His blood avails for us, but you get up, and you press on, and you go forward to that high calling of God and Messiah Yeshua, and don't look back.
looking back is the way of Lot's wife. And it only gets you a pillar of salt, not an eternal reward. Number four, we should keep in mind God does not change his standards for anyone. Even Moses, even American society, even Western enlightenment or progressiveness, God does not change his standards. Society may move the moral goalposts away from God's righteous standards, but God's goalposts never move. Society moves its goalposts, but God's remains the same. Aren't you glad that you can trust God, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? And I refer to Messiah Yeshua with the same statement. He doesn't change his standards. God's standards do not change. Fornication will always be fornication. Lying will always be lying. Stealing will always be stealing. You can't sweet talk those things with God. They are reality. He doesn't change. He doesn't move his goalposts. Society may to society's demise may. And we are called to love God and all he stands for. For his perfect nature, his blameless nature, all that God represents as we read of him in Scripture. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 is a commandment. It's a new covenant commandment. It tells us, quote, do not love the world or the things in the world. Another way to say that, don't set your affections on this world and the things in this world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, say this next statement with me, please. The love of the Father is not in him. Now, there are those who say, well, I can love God and love the world too. You know, there's this happy medium. I'm a man of both sides. Not before the Lord. He wants you to love him as we say every Shabbat with what? Bechol levavcha, with all your heart. Bechol nafshecha, with all your soul. Bechol meodecha, with all your strength. Ve'ahavta le'reacha, kamocha, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Number five of seven. We should keep in mind God's will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. That seems simple. But I wonder sometimes, did Moses have a passing thought of, well, maybe the Lord will change his mind about what he said. Maybe, you know, I've been a pretty good leader these last 40 years. Maybe he'll let me kind of go across the, the River Jordan for a few minutes and just put my feet on that ground. But that didn't happen. He was merciful, let him see, but it didn't happen God's will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we would be wise, very wise, my friends, to make sure that we say and do, that what we say and do is in accordance with God's will. Be careful of your speech. Because by a man's words, a person's words, they can be justified or condemned. Use your, your, the power of life and death is in your tongue. Speak life to people. Life is found in Messiah Yeshua. Now, what we say and do 
should be in accordance with God's will and not just a form of self, you know, self-deception that can happen in which we label, listen to this please, we label our will and say it's God's will because we like it, because we want it, then suddenly it's transformed to God's will. Not all the time. Boy, that's a different type of transubstantiation, isn't it? When we say that our will, because we want it, we desire, is actually God's will, maybe, maybe not. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says, the world is passing away and the lust of it. But please read this last statement with me. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Let's read that again. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Who, does the, who, who abides forever? That person who does the will of God. This should be our goal in life. I delight to do your will, O Lord. Number six. We should keep in mind God orders the steps of his servants. You see that wonderfully with Moses. And you can even see the transition point. We're allowed to see his life in fullness from the time he's in the Teva, he's within the ark on the river Nile, all the way up to the mountain, Abarim, where he dies and then the Lord buries him in the valley. We see this the spectrum of Moses' life. And we can see at a certain point where God just seems to directly guide Moses' steps. Moses had come from a very rough background, when you think about it, a despised people, a Levite, placed in the Nile as a baby, as I just referenced. He was raised by people that weren't really his own. And you know, He even murdered an Egyptian. He had to flee. He lives 40 years out in the wilderness among the Midianites. Pretty tough background. How many agree that's a tough background there? And yet, when Moshe surrenders to the Lord and the Lord really grabs hold of Moses, you can see clearly how God ordered Moses' steps. With the 10 plagues and approaching Pharaoh, Moses listens to the Lord. And we would be much wiser if we would listen to the Holy Spirit in this perilous time that we live. That we would not take things for granted, but seek God and ask him for his direction. I think of Psalm 37, verse 23, when I think about the steps being ordered by the Lord. It says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And then there's this statement. And the Lord delights in his way. Lastly, number seven, we should keep in mind God remembers his covenant. He keepeth covenant. How many of you have heard that phrase before? He keepeth covenant. It's the old King James way to say it, but he keepeth covenant. And he remembers his covenant. If you recall the final words that God spoke to Moshe began with this statement that's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 4. This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. All these years that had passed, God still remembered what he had promised to the Avot, to the patriarchs. This is the land. 
And I have sworn this land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was, God is, and God always will be faithful to his word and his covenant. Hallelujah for that. He told Israel later on in the time of Yermiyahu, the time of Jeremiah Hanavi the prophet. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, he said, But this is the breed, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. If you look at Jeremiah 31, verse 31, it calls this covenant that I just read about, it calls it in Hebrew a brit chadashah. I will make a brit Hadashah, a new covenant with them. Well, this Brit Hadashah, this new covenant of God with his people, was instituted and put into effect, to effect by Yeshua. And this is noted in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, and he knew exactly what he was doing. Luke 22, verse 20, makes this clear. It says, likewise, the scene is the final supper of the Lord, as it's commonly called the Last Supper, the Passover Seder meal of the Lord. It says, likewise, Yeshua also took the cup after supper, saying, notice the phraseology here, the terms used. This cup is the Brit Hadashah, the exact same words as Jeremiah 31, 31. This cup is the new covenant, and then there's this phrase, in my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood, which was shed for you, which is shed for you. So as believers in Yeshua, we should realize the forgiveness that we receive the mercy that's extended to us because of this Brit Hadashah, this new covenant, Yeshua instituted, inaugurated with his own body and blood. He extended mercy to us, to all who return to him. He will not cast anyone away. Jewish, non-Jewish, young, old, educated, uneducated. Every group, every background, every ethnoi, every ethnic group, he will receive those who turn to him. And we should be thankful for his forgiveness. We should be thankful for his acceptance of us. We should be thankful for the mercy that has extended us. We should be thankful for the hope that does not disappoint. Because when our hope is in the Lord, he doesn't disappoint. People do. Have you ever been disappointed by someone you placed your hope in them? Happens all the time. Sometimes you're the one doing the disappointing. But he doesn't. We should be thankful for the love that's been shed abroad in our very hearts. Many of us know and ex have experienced a total change in our life because of what Yeshua did. What he inaugurated with his shed blood and his broken body. That's not a trite thing. That's an eternal 
reality thing. And we should be thankful uh, for his sufficient grace. Do you know, my friend, his grace is sufficient for you today no matter what you're struggling with? Whatever you're trying to overcome, his grace is sufficient. The goalposts aren't going to be moved. You've got to go God's way, but you'll find his grace is sufficient. And all this is made possible, and much more than I can have time to, to list. It's all made possible because of the pain and suffering of Yeshua the Messiah and because of his resurrection power from the dead. And if that same spirit that dwells in Yeshua dwells in you, it's going to make alive your mortal body. Without him, we are wanting, we are lacking what man or woman can save themselves. Every person you've ever met or seen needs the Savior, and his name is Yeshua. There's no other name given among mankind by which a person can be saved but the name of Yeshua. And we're overcomers in this life because of him. Now, last thing I want to share with you. We talked about Moses' final words to the children of Israel. We talked about God's final words to Moses. I want to conclude briefly here with Yeshua's final words while he was on the earth. What did he say last? And in some ways, his final statement is found while he was on the earth in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said to them, we witness of him in the way we speak, the way we act, the way we work, the way we treat one another, our generosity, all those things point to him. So I would like us to pray at this time in conclusion. You don't know and we don't know when our final moment will be in life. But I pray we will be able to recognize and be able to say with a pure heart and a full heart, I have served the Lord to this moment. Whatever moment that is. I have been his servant to this very moment. And then we can say, as it were, into your hands I commit my spirit to you. As we pray now, just take a moment to think about your own life. Are there some goalposts you've been moving around? <laughs> Has there been unbelief about certain issues in your life where you just, you know, you know, think, I don't need God. I'm pretty sufficient. I'm a young guy, a young lady. Have you doubted God's faithfulness to his promises? Have you thought within yourself that, you know, I'm going to do just what I need to do? Fire insurance, as some have called it. And you haven't served the Lord with fullness or gladness. You just thought, well, I'm saved now, so I can kind of do what I want. I'll, I'll just squeak in. That's all I really want. I want to enjoy life now. I'll remind you of this passage in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in this world. 
and also in verse 17 of the same chapter of 1 John chapter 2, it says, he who does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you to please fill us fresh. Grant each person here, all who are willing, all who have an empty place that's not filled with this world and the things of this world or self or all the falsities that lead nowhere. Please, Lord, fill the empty spots in our lives. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflowing. I also pray, Lord, that you would empower us by your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, to be your witnesses, that we would take seriously your words because your word is forever settled in heaven. Lord, thank you for so great a salvation for all those who trust in Yeshua, all those who trust and show their faith through their works, their obedience, their actions. Lord, thank you for the promise that you have made that the grave will not be able to hold them. We extol you this day during this Sukkot, this time of our rejoicing, because Yeshua has tabernacled among us. We extol you today, O Lord, because your son did not leave us as orphans, but he sent his spirit for us. And we thank you this day, O Lord, that you are faithful and true, merciful and compassionate. You know us fully, and you are our merciful Father. Thank you, Lord. We seek your blessings. We seek to be your servants in fuller ways in this year ahead. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat. And we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.